It's a privilege to be with you. Yeah, it does feel familiar. I don't know. I haven't gotten around to meet uh, to all of you or maybe even many of you, but uh, this is our third visit here. First time was with Philip and Robin in the winter, some point in the winter, and then uh, with Jonathan and Joanna, uh, missionaries from Portugal, we were here as well. Just kind of sitting, well, this is our, our, our pew. I don't know if we stole it from someone or not, but uh, our kids just came right in and sat in the front, front and center, so here we are, so... Um, we're going to be, well, let me just do a little more introduction. So, so my wife, Petra, our three boys, Malachi, Simon, and Caleb, we moved to uh, Kitchener uh, in September. So just uh, lived just outside of it in Wellesley, small town Wellesley. Anyone ever been to Wellesley? Apple butter and cheese? Oh, come on. Wow. That's quite a few. <laughs> yeah. So we, uh, we're kind of new to the area. I moved from uh, Madoc, which is north of Belleville, east of Peterborough. That's where I Grew up, my wife's from Alberta, um, but we, in the last 10 years, I've been working with Youth for Christ, or Youth Unlimited. Uh, you have uh, uh, lots of Youth for Christ presence here in southwestern Ontario, and uh, it's a privilege, uh, it was a joy to work with them for 10 years, and then um, I was, we were also with the Free Methodist Church for the last 10 plus years, and so we, we are new to the Mennonite Brethren uh, family. But my wife and I had spent a couple years with Multiply when we were first married, so 13 years, well, 15 years ago, if I get that correct. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, so we are, in some sense, coming back to, to Multiply and the MB world. So it's a, uh, it's a joy to be here. We're going to be continuing this, this theme of uh, spiritual disciplines, and, and the title of the series, I'm losing it. Ancient, here it is, ancient faith, ancient faith. Yeah, and we're going to be focusing on this practice of guidance. And I was tuning in a little bit to some of the, the messages that Keith and Tamil have been sharing in this series. And uh, it's good. And, and when my first visit here, I was well aware that uh, this was something that as a community you are embracing, the spiritual disciplines and practices, and that you're bringing even into uh, the the services, these different ways of engaging in prayer and, uh, and the spiritual disciplines. I, I'm just going to take a stab. I know, I know uh, Tamil and Keith have given uh, some explanation of you know, what are the spiritual disciplines and how do we engage them as kind of a general sense. I'm just going to add you know, another, pers- another layer to that or a different perspective perhaps uh, 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 starting with this illustration of a seed and soil. So what's the purpose of spiritual directions? They, they, their purpose is to open us, open us to the transforming work of God. The transformation is not something that, that we do or that the disciplines do, but it's something that God does. And the purpose of the disciplines is to open us up to the transforming work of God. So seed and soil. We are the seed in this illustration, and the disciplines are the soil. The seed all by itself will not grow. Even if you pour water over it, put sunlight over it, even sprinkle a little bit of fertilizer over it. Imagine a seed like sitting on your, on your deck or on a table, and you're adding you know, sunlight and, and water and, and fertilizer, but it doesn't grow. 
It doesn't grow without the soil. We need something to contain the seed, something by which the, the water and the nutrients are administered. We need a substrate. We need a medium through which the water and nutrients uh, come to the seed. And so these are the Christian disciplines, the soil. They are the, a means of grace. Perhaps you've heard that expression, a means of grace by which God's transforming power is administered into our lives. So think of a seed being submerged into the soil and how, over time, it slowly opens us up. We've all seen this. We've all witnessed it many times and seen it in videos, how a seed will just gradually open up and, and begin to transform in the soil. And it's interesting that the, the roots go down deeper into the soil, into uh, the, the disciplines, if you will. And then there's also this growth that begins to happen out of the soil and into the world where it bears fruit and becomes a, a transforming agent, if you will, in the world. It's a wonderful picture as we consider the disciplines. Colossians 3, Galatians 2 talk about how we have died and our life is now hidden in Christ with God. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but now Christ lives within me. We're buried, we're, we're hidden in Christ and the disciplines help us to enter into that hidden life, that buried life in Christ. So, what about, so we know the discipline, uh, sorry, the connection between discipline and disciple. You ever caught that before? Discipline and disciple. We talk quite a bit about being disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, uh, apprentices of Jesus. Well, this interesting, the connection between those two words. To be a disciple of Jesus is to live a disciplined life. But you would say, what about grace? What about, is there not a, a, a a caution that we're going to enter into legalism. If there's an overemphasis on these disciplines, it certainly can. It certainly can. And it has. It has in, in, in your life, perhaps, in my life at times, and certainly throughout Christian tra tradition, Christian history. But it doesn't have to. You see, it, it only enters into legalism if we see the disciplines as grace, if we equate them with Grace, so instead of as a means to grace. See, the disciplines don't, don't prayer doesn't, doesn't uh, uh, earn God's favor. Well, what is grace? It's God's favor, right? It's God's unmerited favor towards us. And, and the disciplines don't earn God's grace. But it puts us into contact with them. It puts us into contact with them like a seed in the soil, and so our lives are then transformed. So there's my stab at, at providing a picture and just a, a bit of a foundation to the disciplines. We're going to be focusing on this theme of guidance. And I want to uh, get a little bit of of help uh, from you. When we think about this word guide, what do we think about? I'll provide one just to kind of get us start, started so you kind of know where I'm going. 
So tour guide. So if we think about things in our world and in our lives where that word guide shows up, you know, give me some examples. So tour guide would be one of those areas. What are other areas where we hear the word guide show up in, in today's world? Where we experience a guide, tour guide would be one. What about in high school? Is there, or in other schools, you know, there's someone who sits in this certain office called a guidance counselor. All right. What else? Other examples? Any, anybody hunt or fish here? Okay, this is not a hunting and fishing community. That's, that's where I grew up in. All right. Farming community? All, we're all with the soil, all right? <laughs> all right. What, we, we've heard this expression, though, right, in the hunting and fishing world and about guiding. Someone will take you on a guiding trip. They're going to show you the ropes. They're going to show you the way, the sweet spots for hunting and fishing, how to do it. Any other uh, examples? Hey, there we go. Girl guides. All right, interesting. The word guide. What about guide dogs? Yeah, I have a good friend. Did I steal that from, from someone? I have a good friend who is legally blind, and, and he uses a, a guide dog. Interesting, eh? We're going to unpack that, that metaphor a little bit more. So why would you need a guide? What makes a good guide? Well, the person, if you think of a tour guide and, or guiding in the hunting and fishing world, uh, someone is someone who is familiar with the surroundings and is experienced in them. And so then can transfer, transfer their familiarity and experience to someone else. And so guide them. Guide them. So to be a guide is to be one who sees. And to need a guide or guidance is to be literally or figuratively blind. To be literally or figuratively blind. So someone who goes on hunting or fishing, they're not blind. Hopefully, if they're carrying a gun, certainly not blind. Uh, but they are entering into, or if you're going on a tour, right, and you're seeing the city, uh, you're not blind, but you don't see the city as someone who's more experienced or familiar with it, right? And so then a guide is super helpful. And in the case of the guide dog example, the someone who is literally blind depends on the sight of someone else to guide them. So either we don't see or we don't see as we should, and so we need guidance. Guidance. We're going to look at John chapter 9 together, and it's a, it's a long uh, passage, and I'm going to read the entirety of it, and we're going to enter into the story together. And it talks about Jesus healing someone who was both physically blind and spiritually blind. And it's a fascinating passage, I think, to, uh, to approach this topic of guidance. So I'll read it uh, to, together. And I invite you if, you, if you like, if it's helpful for you, to close your eyes even and enter in to the passage together. So as he went along, as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. 
His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man or his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming, and no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, and he mixed spit and made mud, and he applied it to the man's eyes. Go, he said, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent, wash in the pool of scent. So the man went and washed and came home seen. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was, but others said, No, he only merely looks like him. It can't be him. But he himself insisted, I am. It's me. I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. They demanded. And he replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud. He put it on my eyes, and he told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which he had made the mud and opened the eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man and said, what have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He is a prophet. Interesting. Just noting this as we go. He first, the blind man said, a man named Jesus. And now he says, he is a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one who who you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents said, and we know he was born blind, but how he can now see, we don't know. Why don't you ask him? He's of age. They said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be kicked out of the synagogue, out of the community. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God. This is tell the truth. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know, but this I know. I once was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, 
What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have already told you, and yet you did not listen. What do you want? To hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him you, and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered. Now, you can feel the, some of the energy and the frustration rising, right? The boldness in this man. Now, there is, that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out, out of the synagogue, out of the community. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The Son of Man is interchangeable with Son of God. It was a title Jesus often liked to refer to himself as, Son of Man. Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into the world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees were with him and heard him say that and asked, what, are we blind too? You talking about me? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you see, your guilt remains. We're going to look at four things real quick from this passage. The first, and we're going to start at the end of the passage, the conclusion of it. The four things that are key to receiving or practicing guidance. And let me just say, and to say this at the start too, these are some reflections I had as I meditated on Scripture. But as we were just slowly reading and entering into the passage, the Holy Spirit was speaking to your heart. And as I continue to chat and share my reflections, continue to listen to what the Holy Spirit is highlighting to you. And this perhaps is just some background. But pay attention to how God is speaking to you, highlighting truth, His truth to you. Uh, so four things. Uh, be blind. Wash in the pool of scent. Ask good questions. And ask with the right heart. Four keys to practicing guidance, receiving guidance. First one, be blind. Be blind. What do you mean, be blind? Well, based on Jesus' conclusion in the story, is it better to be blind or to see? 
to be blind, says Jesus. For judgment I have come into the world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. So careful for those that claim that they can see. Now, what, what's he saying? Is, does he want people to walk around in ignorance and stumble around in the dark spiritually our whole lives? Well, no, of course not. He wants us to see. He wants us to walk in the light as he is in the light. But in order to receive that light and that sight, we must admit that we don't see very well. Or maybe that we are, in fact, blind. This is the place of humility of meekness. We receive our sight through ongoing dependency upon the Holy Spirit. This is what it means to be blind, to depend upon the Holy Spirit as our guide and our helper. And of course, this is how Jesus describes the Holy Spirit in John 14 and John 16. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. That's how the NIV translates it. To be with you forever. It's translated in other places as comforter or as helper or even as advocate. Apparently, it was a legal term of the day, parakletos. Para meaning to come alongside and kletos meaning advocate. And so, so you, the Holy Spirit is going to be your, your advocate, your helper. He's going to come alongside you, and he's going to guide you into truth. I will not leave you as orphans, says Jesus. I will come to you. How? By the Holy Spirit. And in John 16, verse 13, he says this. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes... He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will speak what he hears and will tell you what is to come. So do you lack wisdom today? Are you seeking the truth for any given situation, what you should do in any difficult situation? Ask the Holy Spirit. Admit first that you don't see well on your own. Be blind. And so depend upon the Holy Spirit in a very real and radical way. It's easy to lean on our own understanding, isn't it? It's easy to, to think that we have what it takes and just reason our way through. Of course, in Proverbs, we're, we're told to not lean on our own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. All your ways. Acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight or he will direct or guide your paths. So my friend Daryl, uh, who is uh, legally blind, has a guide dog named Dermot. And he, so Daryl works with uh, Youth for Christ and we went on a number of trips together. And Dermot was always there. And on these trips, we would sometimes do uh, hikes uh, in, in the nature, or we would do, you know, be walking through the city, and always Dermot was there. And so I got to uh, observe Dermot at work, um, and how, so there's a harness 
around a guide dog. You're familiar with this. And then there's a handle, a rigid handle that Daryl hangs on to. And there is, it's interesting just how subtle the movements are. Daryl feels these movements through the harness in subtle yet significant ways. And so he knows when to stop or when to turn, depending on where Dermot is going and what he's trying to avoid and get over. Or, or, or yeah, if he's going up some stairs or up a hill or over a tree branch, like Daryl knows it's coming because he can feel those movements. Interesting. As If we consider that, how we lean on and depend upon the Holy Spirit. We pay attention to the subtle yet significant movements of the Holy Spirit. And we don't abandon our faculties. Daryl doesn't abandon his faculties. He still has to pay attention. He still has to to reason, you know, what's happening. But he surrenders and and, uh, leans, not on his own understanding, but on Dermot's. He's still got to walk. He's still got to move his own feet, but he does so in step with his guide, his helper. And so too discernment. Ruth Haley Barton says this, uh, guidance, or she uses the word discernment. I suggest that they're very interchangeable words. Guidance begins when we acknowledge the fact that we lack the wisdom we need And that without divine intervention, the best we can do is stumble around in the dark. Discernment begins when we are in touch with our blindness and are willing to cry out from that place, My teacher, I want to see. Are you and me in touch with our blindness today? What ways are we seeking God's guidance Are we seeking his guidance or are we just leaning on our own understanding? Be blind. Be blind. Depend on the Holy Spirit and God will give you sight. Second, I find it fascinating that Jesus sent him to the pool of scent. Go wash in the pool of scent. I think we need to wash in the pool of scent We need to hear and obey. There's many things that God has revealed to us and we have not put into practice yet. There's many things where he's whispered and given us that nudge of guidance and we haven't followed through on it yet. And so we keep coming back again and again with the same problem and the same dilemma. God, where are you? What should I do? But we haven't gone And so we need to hear and obey. We need to wash in the pool of scent. And this, and then the man comes home seeing. Isn't that fascinating? I think if we would be more attentive to what the Holy Spirit is saying, I think we're doing that, we're heading that in the right direction, but then also attentive to obedience, attentive to our obedience. Wash in the pool of scent. We will come home seen. We'll enter into guidance in a better way, in a more significant way. And number three, uh, ask the right questions. You'll notice that there's a lot of questions being asked in this passage, isn't there? 
Good questions contribute greatly to good guidance. This has been super helpful in, in my journey and as I've uh, studied this, this theme of discernment and of guidance, questions are super helpful. So good questions lead to good guidance. Likewise, bad questions contribute to bad guidance. In some real sense, our answers are only as good as the questions we ask. So we need to ask good questions. His disciples asked him, verse 2, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? It's a bad question. They were seeking guidance. They were. They were seeking truth, weren't they? And they were asking the right person. But it was the wrong question. They were asking, they were seeking to assign blame to the brokenness instead of seeking God's will in the midst of the brokenness. How often do we do that? It's a difficult situation. There's a broken relationship. And our first response, our knee-jerk reaction is, whose fault is it? And if we just figure that out, then we'll solve this thing. Man, I slip into that so often with my kids. Anyone else? It's like, as long as we can just figure out whose fault it is, we'll solve this thing. No. No, we need to ask God, especially in, in, these, in these complicated and, and, and long-standing you know, disagreements and, and whatnot. God, where are you at work in the midst of this brokenness right now? Better than who God, whose fault is it? would be to ask, how, God? How are you longing to enter into this brokenness and bring your hope and healing? Better than why, God, would be where, God? Where are you at work and how are you inviting me to respond? So as we seek the Lord's guidance, we need to ask the right questions. And then finally, ask with the right heart. We can ask the right questions, but with the wrong heart. If we, if we look at uh, the Pharisees in verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been born blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Because to wash on the Sabbath was to break the Sabbath. And so they said they, they wanted to catch the man in, in, uh, in Jesus in the act, right? He broke the Sabbath. How can this be? And so they asked, they're asking a right question. How did this happen? That's probably a good question to ask. But they had the wrong heart, the wrong motive. They entered into it. Already with the judgment made. How often do we do that? When we ask questions, we're not really asking them genuinely. We're asking them to to trap someone or to prove our already made judgment. And so we enter into, when we enter into discernment or guidance with a critical or judgmental spirit, we're entering into it in the wrong heart. The wrong heart. They had already made their judgment about Jesus because he had healed someone on the Sabbath and had told them to wash in order to do that. That was bad, and so he must be a bad man. They had strong convictions about what it meant to keep the Sabbath. So our strong convictions 
bad. No, of course not. But the spirit in which the Pharisees ask the questions reveals something about their hearts, about their convictions. They're easily threatened. They're easily threatened or insecure. And so, in fact, it wasn't, they didn't actually have strong con- convictions. They, they had weak convictions because their convictions were easily threatened. Have you ever considered that? Have you ever been easily offended by something because it rubs up against your convictions? Maybe your convictions aren't as strong as you think. Maybe the fact that they need to be vehemently defended suggests that maybe they're not as strong as you think. Maybe they're not written on your heart, and that's really what convictions are, something that is written upon our hearts. Deuteronomy speaks to that, doesn't it? It says, the commands of God are to be written upon our hearts, impressed upon our hearts. And so, and so are our convictions there? Are they written upon our hearts or are we easily threatened by other people's convictions? Uh, and so they, the second thing is the wrong motive. They were trying to trap Jesus in his words, as I already mention. It wasn't a genuine question. It was some, they were trying to trap Jesus. And so the condition of our heart is very important as we pursue guidance. Are our hearts soft or are they calloused? Are our hearts surrendered, open, or are they closed? Are our hearts searching in a genuine way of entering into the truth, or are we critical? So we need to ask the right questions and ask with the right heart. See, we can, we can ask the same question, where are you, God? From a place of bitterness and anger and closeness, where are you, God, in this situation? Or we can ask, like, with arms raised and eyes fixed on him, God, where are you? Where are you in this situation? Ask the right questions with the right heart. Are we trying to trap God or prove him wrong or assign guilt to him or to someone else? Or are we genuinely curious and hopeful and open? I'm going to invite the the band back up, and we're just going to wrap up with a time of prayer here. So I would invite whoever's on the keys, maybe just to play quietly or on the guitar, whatever works. Um, I'm going to invite you to, uh, and you're very familiar with this because I've been here a few times, and we just did a little bit of this already this morning, to enter into a posture of prayer. So I invite you right now, right where you're at, to to take a deep breath, to close your eyes, to acknowledge that Jesus is here, is among us. The Holy Spirit is speaking. He has been speaking, maybe from the, the moment you first entered. a conversation that you had with someone. It was something through the, the worship music. There's something that grabbed you as we were doing the prayer practice this morning. 
reading the scripture together. The Holy Spirit is present. You're here. You're here, Jesus. So in the presence of God, I invite you to consider one situation in your life where you are in need of guidance. Something, some situation where you feel stuck You don't know the way forward. Some situation where it feels heavy, confusing. You need help. You need an advocate. You need the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I want us to begin, as we hold that situation, in the presence of God. Begin by admitting that we are blind. That on our own, we do not see well. We need help. We need you, Holy Spirit. Forgive us. Forgive me for how I've leaned on my own understanding. Help me. Help me, Jesus. Be my guide. Be my eyes. I want to see. Next, ask the Holy Spirit to help you identify a good guiding question, an an open-ended question, something like, Holy Spirit, how are you at work in this situation, and how are you inviting me to respond? Invite his searching light into the situation. Invite his eyes. And as you hold that question before God, check your heart. Check your motives. 
Are you genuinely open to God's guidance? Are you open to his searching? Is your heart soft and surrendered? finally and this may take some time you may need to sit with these questions longer but but maybe there's a sense now if not now there continue to sit with the question but come to this place of of decision as best you can with with the sight and the discernment that you have received from God what is he inviting you to do how is he inviting you to respond And commit in your heart to obey. Go and wash in the pool of scent. And in so doing, come home seen. Amen.